Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. That's awesome. I got an introduction from... From my husband. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Uh, what an amazing crowd this morning. Look at you guys. Uh, it's it's full in here. It feels good in here. Uh, the worship was good. Uh, it was it was sweet. It was a sweet time of worship. I could feel the presence in here, and it was such an amazing, amazing time of worship. We would like to thank our worship team. We have an amazing worship team. Amen. Yeah. And it's always, always refreshing to be in the presence of the Lord together with you. Uh, and so I am honored to be here this morning, to be being able to stand before you and bring the word. I don't take that lightly. I honor the word of God and I honor this pulpit. I, I honor uh Greg, my husband, uh, no doubt as the leader and as the pastor of this church, but uh, I'm just thankful to the Lord that he has given us his word. And how many of you here know you can go ahead and pick your word up? And um, how many of you know it's alive and it's quick and it's sharper than any two-edged sword? And it has the ability and the power to divide between soul and spirit, even between joint and marrow. How many of you know that's a precise word? That's something precise that can come in, that can do surgery in our lives lives and that can change uh, change us if we will allow it to. Amen, as Pastor DJ said. So you take your word, hold it up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Now say like Mary, oh Lord, be unto me according to your word. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I would like to talk to you. Whoops, sorry. Dropping my water there. Um, I'd like to talk to you this morning. You know, we have been contending for revival in this house. God has spoken that revival is coming. Uh, it's actually amongst us already. It's kind of like it's not just coming. It's already here. Now, it may not be to its fullness and it may not be uh, complete. I believe God is always pouring out. He's always doing something. He's always speaking. He's growing. He's manifesting. He's uh, changing us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. Amen. Hopefully all of us are in that category. Uh, but I believe that this word that the Lord gave me this morning is just another one of those uh, processes. Actually, that's what I called it this morning. I call the message the process. And I think they might have have that uh, possibly, yes, the process. Um, and this is not the only process. How many of you would go through processes in our lives of different things, right? Uh, my daughter, Hannah, and her fiance, Austin, look, I'm pointing and they're not there. Where are y'all? Are they on the other side? There they are. Okay, they just moved back a couple of rows. They are on this side. Uh, Hannah and Austin, I believe they get married in 12 days. And so, whoo, yeah, that's, uh, that's our fifth daughter. 
to get married and our seventh child to get married. So uh, this is not, quote, a new thing, but yet it is because it's a different daughter. It's a different process, right? I've been through this process before of planning a wedding or planning a rehearsal dinner or, you know, making sure everyone has their tuxedo or has their dress or we're serving the food and we make sure people know where they're supposed to go to get their food, the cake, all of that. It's it's all a process, right? Uh, and I've been through this process a few times, but again, this one looks a little bit different because each process in our life, uh, it takes us to a, a different place sometimes, you know? And so this process that I want to talk to you about this morning uh, is called rending, mending, and sending. Now you're going to laugh at me because you're like, oh my goodness, you're such a homeschool mom. I am a homeschool mom. I've been a homeschool mom for 25 years now and I'm loud and proud about it. And uh, I am a teacher. And so God speaks to me the way that I feel like he wants me to remember things. And so that's what I do. He gives me things so that people remember what it is I teach. Rending, mending, and sending. They rhyme. I also write children's books that rhyme. So I'm a rhyming type person. So that's how God has to speak to me to make me realize what's going on. So this morning, our ultimate goal, obviously, is to get to the sending, right? Is to get to that part of our lives where God sends us. And it may not be to Africa. It may not be across the seas. You know what? It might be to your next door neighbor. It might be to the person that works in the cubicle next to you. It may be the person, uh, you know, that you run into at Walmart and they're standing behind you in line. God is sending us in this season, I believe, of revival. He's sending us just like he sent Jesus. And I'll get to that in Isaiah 61. I got so excited last night when I was studying about Isaiah 61. When when God, he spoke to Isaiah through the prophet all those years. And then in Luke 4, Jesus stands up and he says, the spirit of of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach the gospel, to preach the good news to the poor. He said, he has sent me. He has sent me. Do you know each one of us need to be sent? Amen. We need to be sent by God. Like I said, I am sent by God to be a mom, to teach my children, to be a wife, to be a mom in this house, to to disciple people, to raise people up. Each one of us are, are being sent by God to do something. Amen. Amen. And I just want to take just an opportunity right now before I go into this word, because I believe this is going to be uh, just something that actually fits in with what God is doing in Nathan Holly Cunningham's life. Um, Nate and Holly, y'all come on up here. Nate and Holly are an uh, amazing couple and they've been with us. Y'all know them. He plays the drums. Holly is able to minister to us a lot of different times. Amen. And... I will say today is not their official sending out, but they are being sent to Columbia, Tennessee to plant a church. And we're so excited to be a part of that and to do it alongside of you. And what I'm going to speak this morning, uh, you've been through a rending process. You've been through a mending process, and now you're in the sending process. And of course, again, you've been in this process before, (laughs) but you're in it again because every time God does something, he does it a little bit different. It looks a little bit different or whatever. And so Nate and Holly actually are going to be coming back and preaching, officially having the send out when Pastor Greg's here. But I wanted to give them opportunity this morning just to say uh, just a word to you and tell you how much they love you, and then I'll get into the word. 
Uh, I'll just briefly say thank you so much. We honor, of course, Pastor Greg and Gretchen and all of the staff and everybody that has prayed for us, loved on us, and endured the process with us. And um, I was actually speaking with somebody the other day, a very dear friend of mine that lives um, far away. And she made the comment to me, you just don't know how lucky you are to have the church you have, to have the covering you have, to have the support you have. And I just always think of Scottsboro, the sign that says somewhere special, the well is somewhere special. And this is a special place and a special family. And I'm grateful and honored that we get to take a bucket of water from the well to Columbia, Tennessee and share this heart and share this culture with the people that need it there. Amen. Amen. I could spend the rest of the service just saying two words. Thank you to so many different people. And of course, there'll be more to say when we come back. Uh, but uh, we, this is the third time we've been sent out. And I, I think that obviously the, the difference here is that we're not coming back to live in Scottsboro again. Uh, I think the first two times we knew that we would eventually be back, but this time we're going to plant for a generation. Uh, and uh, very excited about that. But I sat down and I, I walking our children through this transition from from here to there and uh, wanted to make sure everybody makes the transition well and we talked about things that we weren't going to pack with us when we go and things that we would pack when we go and to be honest it sounded a little bit like that pre uh, youth camp meeting they're like don't bring your knives don't bring your attitude don't bring cursing or anything like that um and you know we sat down look we're not going to pack our bad attitudes and we were talking about joshua getting ready to make the transition over the Jordan, sanctify yourself, get yourself prepared. We're not going to pack selfishness. We're not going to pack fighting. But some things that we are going to pack from here are things like God's not looking for a perfect picture. He's looking for a picture he can perfect. Uh, We're going to pack things like embrace the process and possess the gates. Uh, But we're also going to pack revival. And we're taking revival to Columbia. We're excited about it. Beautiful, wonderful city. And uh, I just can't wait to have a place that you guys can come visit when you're up that way that's going to look hopefully very similar to here. I texted Pastor Greg yesterday and I just said, look, the way that my daughter Alicia resembles Holly or the way Levi might resemble Pastor Greg, I hope that we resemble uh, our father and our mother and those who are sending us out. Amen. We love you, church. Love y'all. Amen. So see, yeah. So the sending process is a beautiful process. Sometimes it's not always easy. It's hard to let go of your children. It's hard to let go, uh, you know, but, but, I have learned with with releasing a, a seventh child, uh, it, it is just that, it's releasing. Uh, and actually our family statement, our family vision statement is that this family is built by faith, filled with love, established through training and continued in releasing. The only way we can continue to grow and and embra- is embracing the process, but the only way we can do that is by releasing. And so this is not only are we individually being sent to wherever it is God is sending us, but this house is sending people. This house is a sending house. And we're so excited. Prophetically, God has said this is going to be a sending place. And so I just want to talk about the process of rending, mending, and sending. So 
So if you'll turn in your word with me uh, to Joel 2, I'm going to go there for, uh, in just a minute, but I want to first talk to you about what rending means. Obviously, rending means to tear, to tear away, tear out, tear apart, or to make wide open like a hole. You know, you tear it, but it actually is referring to your eyes, to make wide open. When you go through a rending process, it opens your eyes. You begin to see differently. You begin to see things maybe you didn't see before. And so that's such an interesting word to me when I read that. Actually, the in the Old Testament, it's numerous. I mean, I don't even know that I could touch on every time that someone rended their clothing or rended their garments. And I laughed this morning. I, I found this uh, wrap, you know, it's such a cool wrap. But let me tell you, <laughs> this morning I almost rended my garments. Like, I mean, four or five times I put it on and the, the sleeves catch on everything. I caught on the doorknob and then all of a sudden I was caught on something else and I could hear the threads going. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be rending my garment. I better take it off until I leave and go, go to church because I didn't want the sleeves to rip before I even got here. But in the Old Testament, there was, that's what they did. They rended or tore apart their garments. And you may be like, that's strange. Why would they do that? This was a symbol. It was an outward symbol of what was going on on the inside of them. There was a grief. There was a, a an emotion inside of them that maybe they couldn't speak it out. They didn't know what to do, how to process. Sometimes when you are rending, uh, when they were rending their garments, it was in a situation they could do nothing about. They, they, they weren't the ones that could fix the problem. Job, his children, they come and tell him a tornado, a tornado, as they say in this part, uh, a tornado has come and, and the four winds and collapsed the house and all 10 of your children are dead. Your cows, you're, you're this, you're that. And, and his wife tries to tell him what, curse God and die. But that's not what Job chose to do. He rended his garments. He sat down, he put ashes and sackcloth on his head. And it's a, it's a symbol of grief. It's a symbol of loss also. But, but, but here's what it said in this word, this Hebrew word rend, when you're rending, it actually means uh, when you're grieving a loss of truth. When you're grieving a loss of truth, there comes a rending. Let's look at a couple of people who, who did this. Obviously, I said Job. Obviously, David. When King Saul and Jonathan, they brought the word to him, the messenger came and says, tells David, King Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. And you know his relationship with Jonathan, right? He was a dear friend of Jonathan. And even though Saul was coming after him to, um, to take his life. He still loved Saul. But this was a loss of truth because he knew, he said, I won't lay my hand on the anointed of God. He knew that God had called Saul for that time period. He also knew that he had the anointing oil probably still wet up on his head, feeling it, knowing that he was next in line, but he did not step into that rejoicing. He was not saying, oh yeah, snap, Saul's dead. Now I'm gonna get to step in. No, it was a grief to him. It was a loss of truth because God is truth. And if God spoke Saul, Saul's the one that had the, the mishap there and didn't walk out his calling before, and we're going to talk about that in a minute too. Part, they're the two, and they come back, and oh yeah, yeah, there's giants over there in the land, but guess what? We can take them. We can take them, and the other 10 spies, no, 
no, there's giants over there. We're, we're like little grasshoppers in their sight. And we're just, oh, going to be annihilated. And, and Joshua and Caleb ripped their clothes. They rended their garments because of loss of truth. They're like, what are you talking about? Do we not serve the God of the impossible? Do we not serve one that can, can cause us to overcome? If God's called us, he will prepare us. He will make a way where there seems to be no way, right? And so Joshua and Caleb are grieving the loss of truth that these people, 10 of the 12 are speaking out of the negative side of their mouth, out of the negative side of their brain. And it was, it was grieving to them. It was grievous to them. And so they're feeling that. And, and this is kind of a prophetic picture. Actually, King Saul, which I was just talking about with David, he was the first king of Israel. God anointed him through Samuel, the prophet. It said he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the son of Kish, which came from the tribe of Benjamin, which was the youngest son of Jacob. So he didn't seem like he, he wasn't, he didn't feel like he maybe was qualified for the job because he came from the least of the Mount of tribes. But God told him, I'm I'm calling you for this position. I'm anointing you. And somehow he went from feeling low and hiding among the baggage to uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, having to run him down and be like, look, you used to be small in your own eyes. What happened? Like all of a sudden you were given an instruction to wipe out all the Amalekites, everybody, the king, all of them, and all of the animals. But all of a sudden I show up and you've got King Agag because you wanted to prove that you did it. You wanted to prove that, you know, you were the one that conquered. And I hear sheep. I hear sheep bleeding out, bleating out in the pasture. What's going on? Why do you, you, you disobeyed God. And Saul's like, oh, I I was going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He starts making excuses. Guess what? God's not looking for our excuses. He's looking for our rending. And I'm going to get to the part that we're rending. We're not just rending our garments this morning. He's saying it. The prophet Joel gets, gets excited about this and tells the people what's going to happen. So Saul actually does a prophetic rending. He wasn't willing to rend his own garments. He wasn't going to repent because also rending your garments was a sign of repentance. Even King Ahab, come on guys, King Ahab, Jezebel's husband, when the word of the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. He literally rended his garments and it says that God saw his repentance and did not destroy what was going on, even King Ahab. Come on, we serve a merciful God. If we will choose to live in in the rending of our hearts, in, in the repentance, and when God says something to us and just puts his finger and says, hey, look, this is part of the process. Hello, I said we've been through rending. Hopefully all of us have been through rending. Uh, at least we've been through repentance one time, two times, three times, four times. It's a continual process, amen, because we live in a fallen world. We, we are not perfect, but hopefully the Son of God that lives in inside of us is perfecting us, but there's times we still have, we have to live in a lifestyle of rending or repentance, right? Uh, in that process. And so Saul, King Saul, because he would not choose to rend his own garments and repent of disobedience, he decided to make excuses. Well, I was going to do a sacrifice. I was going, you know, I was going to kill those sheep and just make a sacrifice. Samuel, the, the prophet, he's like, look, the God has chosen someone else. He's anointed somebody else to do what you were called to do because you chose to disobey God. Uh, God desires obedience rather than sacrifice. And Samuel turns to leave 
and Saul reaches in, remember? And it says he rended his garment. He ripped the prophet's garment because there had to be a rending. There had to be a ripping. There had to be something that, that happened that it was ripped. And Samuel turns around and says, just like you ripped my cloak or my garment, the kingdom has been ripped out of your hands. Basically, because you wouldn't repent, you wouldn't rend your heart. You wouldn't admit what you had done wrong. So uh, you've got Joshua again. He rended his garments when he found out that Achan sinned. When God said, hey, the children of Israel have sinned. Well, the children of Israel didn't sin, but Achan did. And Pastor Greg preaches on this all the time. Obviously, the whole camp was held accountable and responsible because Achan sinned. He says, Israel has sinned. Not just one man, Israel has sinned. And so Joshua was broken over this loss of truth again. All right, goes on, Tamar, uh, the story of Tamar, Amnon, when uh, her brother took advantage of her, she ripped her garments because it was a loss of her virginity. It was a loss of truth. She had been taken advantage of. She had to stay in her brother's house the rest of her life and just live a shameful life. Then we have Elisha uh, and uh, Hezekiah, Josiah, uh, in second Kings two. I mean, he was this, I love that this one of my favorite stories, but, uh, Josiah was made King when he was eight years old. And so he was still a young man, but he was King and Hilkiah, uh, one of the, the, uh, priest comes in and they're, they're looking for stuff and he finds the book of the law. He finds the word of, of God really at that time, the book of the law. And he brings it to Josiah. He's like, Hey, I found this book. And Josiah said, let's read it. What, what's, what's in there? Let's read this thing. Let's, let's go. He starts reading it. And you would think Josiah's like, yes, awesome. No, he ripped his clothes because he's like, this is, I'm reading, I'm hearing this, but this is not what I'm seeing. The people of God are not living according to this word of the law right here. And he ripped his clothes because he's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I don't know about you, but I can look sometimes in my family and I'm like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And who can do something about it? Me, I have the choice. Fathers, you have the choice. Mothers, you have the choice. Bosses, you have the choice. All of us have the choice to say, I will not allow this to stay this way anymore. The book of the law says this. The Bible says this. The word of God says this. The prophetic word says this. But what am I doing over here? Am I living according to this? Am I, am I rending my heart? Or am I just doing a bunch of outward stuff? And that's where we get to the prophet Joel. Joel is like, look, long enough. He obviously, all of these people I've mentioned, they rended their garments because they felt it in their heart. David, when his little son, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and she uh, becomes pregnant and you know the whole story there and puts Uriah to death. He is in mourning because his son has been born, but he's sick. He's about to die and he's fasting and he's wept and he has uh, ripped his garments because he's sorrowful. He's sorry for what he did. He, in fact, Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And he begins to cry out to the Lord. He repents before the Lord. So he doesn't just rip his garment. He ripped his heart. And he said, I'm sorry for what I did. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me because of what I've done. And so Joel, the prophet, he's watching Israel though. And you know, God raises up prophets in all along because they're seers. 
You know, that's what they called the old prophets in the Old Testament. They called them seers, S-E-E-R-S, because they could see what God was doing and they were watching the people. They were watchmen. They were standing on the wall and watching. Does this line up with what God has said? No, it doesn't. So God gives them a word and speak, and they're willing to speak it out and say, hey, let's get this thing in line. This is not the way God said we were supposed to be living as the people of God. And so Joel, the prophet Joel in Joel 2, if we turn there, uh, in Joel 2, and that's Hosea, um, it'll be after uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. So right in there, you'll find it, okay? In the Old Testament. Y'all could sing the song. <laughs> All right, Joel 2 is, uh, and we find in Joel 1, there's some bad things going on in Israel. There's been armies of locusts sent against them and what the gnawing ones didn't get, the chewing ones did. And what the chewing ones didn't get, it said that, I've got it written down here. You got the lickers, the gnawers, the hoppers, the devourers. It's masses of locusts that are destroying everything that the Israelites have. So they're in a bad time. How many of you know we're not in the best time uh, that we've ever lived in as a nation? All right, well, the prophet Joel begins to talk about this. He begins to say, look, we need to mourn for our land. We need to uh, put ourselves, he tells the priest, he said, look, you need to begin to wail and fast and mourn between the porch and the altar. There needs to be a place that we need to cry out to the Lord. And it says, I love this in here. It says, when tragedy occurred, the proper expect, um, no, 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 it's the other one. This appeal for a change of heart was initiated by the Lord. In the face of calamity, the only, everybody say the only, the only effective response was to call on the Lord Almighty. And I'm telling you, that hasn't changed. It, when you're in the midst of calamity, when you're in the midst of trouble, when you're in the midst of a rebellious child, when you're in the midst of whatever it is, financial ruin, to call on the name of the Lord Almighty is the only way to continue to walk forward, to rend our hearts and say, God, if there's anything I've done, if there's anything that's displeased you, if there's anything that doesn't line up with the law of the Lord, I'm rending my heart. And Joel begins to tell the people, he tells them in, in Joel 2, starting in 12, now there Therefore says the Lord, he's, he's prophesying from the word of the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And verse 13 says, so rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord your God. He's like, forget rending your garments. We've done that long enough and it's just an outward expression and there's nothing left. There's nothing going on on the inside. People had just, the, the children of Israel had just gotten to the point to where they were just making a show of it. Oh, I'm just going to rend my garments. And then that way they'll think I'm, I'm, sorrowful for what I've done. That's not true repentance. Actually, the apostle Paul says, worldly sorrow works death, but godly sorrow, it says godly sorrow will lead you to repentance that leads you to salvation that will not be repented of. When we're truly walking in repentance, like John the Baptist said, keep fruits with repentance. When you have true repentance in your life, there'll be fruits that come out of that. It will not be do this and then go back here and do this and then do this and then come back over here and do this little bit, dabble over here and dabble over there. The dabbling stops when you choose to really repent and rend your heart before God. 
And you know, some of us, again, today we don't rend our garments. Like I said, I almost did this morning, but we don't outwardly rend our garments, but we do outwardly go to church or, you know, come up here and maybe do a jig or, or hold our hands up or, or do something outward. And I'm not saying that everybody that does these things, I mean, I think that we have true worshipers in this house. I mean, we have worshipers that are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So I'm not in, in any way coming out with a judgmental word or a critical word. I'm encouraging us this morning. I'm encouraging us this morning to say, look, let's don't just go through the motions. Let's don't just do the whole outward thing so everybody thinks we're all right and do outward stuff. Let's let it get down. Let's let it cut to the heart. Let's let, let's rend our hearts before the Lord. Let's, let's say, where's, uh, where's the loss of truth in my life? Obviously, if I see a fruit in my children that, and that I don't like, that, that is wrong, I'm like somewhere I lost hold of the truth. We sing that song. When you lose hold of the truth somewhere, we got to grieve over it. We got to go, God, where did I lose it? It's like that man that lost that axe head. It's like, where did I lose my edge? And he had to say right over here, he told the prophet, he's like, man, that was borrowed. That axe was borrowed, but I lost it. I lost the edge. And he said, where did you lose it? You have to identify first where you lost it. And then he said, okay, he, you pick it up. Once it swam up, it's, it's our responsibility. He had to pick up that edge. He had to pick up that sharpness again and put it on that axe so he could cut that tree down. It's our responsibility as parents. It's our responsibility as friends. It's our responsibility as men and women of God to find out where we've lost the truth and then go after it and find it and allow God because we cannot be sent to this community. We cannot be sent anywhere if we don't go through a rending. We have to go through a rending. Amen. So in Joel, he tells them, rend your heart and not your garments. And the reason he's saying this, David actually said it when I was quoting him earlier in Psalm 51. He said, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we haven't done. What matters is our repentance. What matters is how we're going to get before God now. How are we going to say, if we're broken and we're contrite, and I don't have even time to go into that word contrite, but you should look up the Hebrew word for contrite. God will not despise contriteness and brokenness in our life if we're truly broken over what has come into our heart or what's come into our life or what we've allowed to come into our homes. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God rebukes Samuel the prophet even. And he says, Samuel thinks that all of the sons of Jesse are coming before him and he's looking at him, right? He's looking, he's like, man, this guy, he's fine looking. Look at him, he's strong, he's big. This is probably the one God wants to anoint. This is probably him. And the Lord's like, mm, no, this isn't him. This isn't him. Finally, he tells Samuel, he's like, Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's what Joel's saying. Guys, don't just rend your garments. Don't just do an outward thing. God's looking at your heart. Are you really sorry for the loc are you really sorry that you allowed these locusts to come and overtake your schools and your land and your nation? 
what are we really going to do? Because then you have to go on to Joel 3, because when he called for a sacred assembly, when he called for a fast, when he called for this repentance and they did it, man, it says God restored. God restored. There was a mending, which I'm going to get to in just a minute. There was a mending. After the rending becomes a mending. And I'm going to move on into that mending right now. Well, I got to say one more thing. In Isaiah 64, 1, this is something else we've been praying. Another place that not only to move on to the mending and the sending and the revival that God is going to send here and he's going to send us out to different places. Uh, it says, oh, would you rend the heavens and come down? There has to be that rending too. We talked about that, the open heavens. So not only are we rending our hearts, but we're asking God to rend the heavens, rip open the heavens, open our eyes so that we can see when you're coming down and what you're doing. Let's move on into mending now. Obviously, mending means to fix, to sew, to repair, to make complete, to make whole, to fit, to frame, to make perfect, restore, join together, equipped, put in order, arranged, adjusted, make one what he ought to be. Amen. That mending in, in our lives, we have the rending, but I want to talk about the mending. Now, sometimes uh, that first part was, like I said, getting, losing sight of the truth. But there also in our lives, sometimes we have been wounded. We have been hurt. We've been, actually, we have been the victims. We have gone through things in our lives where we need God to come and mend our hearts. So I'm not just like, oh, we're all full of sin. We all need to repent. Sometimes we're full of hurt. Sometimes we're full of, of bitterness or frustration because the way we've been treated or, or what's happened in our lives, just circumstances that have happened. But God wants to do a mending in our lives. He wants to pull together. He wants to make us what we ought to be. It also means to strengthen or prepare. And again, we're always talking about preparation around here. We're preparing for what God is going to do. Even though we're in the middle of it, he's, it's still coming. There's more coming. So we're living in preparation. We're living in process. What is God doing? Um, so in Mark 1:19, James and John, God's call, uh, Jesus is calling his disciples. He talks to Peter and Andrew, and then he goes on and he talks to James and John. And interesting enough, when he talks to Peter and Andrew, he says they drop their nets. Uh, and, and followed. But it says James and John, they were mending their nets. And, and that word there actually is the same thing. It, it actually means to re, they were repairing their nets because they didn't want to the next time. And, and here's a, a big thing. And again, it wasn't their fault. James and John did not rip their nets on purpose. They didn't go in there and get scissors and cut their net and made a, make a big hole. This happened through circumstances. This happened through them working. This happened through them fishing. This happened to them doing what their job was. They were just dropping the net, and guess what? It, it got unraveled somehow. Things in their life got unraveled. And guess what? If they didn't fix those nets, they couldn't continue to catch fish. They couldn't continue to bring in the income. They couldn't continue to do what their job was. And so there was this process of mending and fixing and restoring storing. And it's the same thing in our life. God wants to take us through a process of mending and restoring and, and putting back together maybe holes in our life that someone left a hole in your heart. Someone left a hole in our life. Someone uh, just through circumstances, all of a sudden we've got this gaping hole in our nets and we cannot do what we need to do and go to the next level. We need a mending in our lives. Amen. All right. Second Chronicles 24, 12. I love 
of this, you can turn there in Second Chronicles. It's when Joash, King Joash is repairing the temple. And in uh, verse 12, the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord. And also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. And it, it actually, one of the... Um, one translation actually says that they hired masons and carpenters to mend the house of the Lord. Even the house of the Lord had been broken down. And how many of you know the church as we know it has been broken down somewhat uh, from, uh, from the book of Acts? If you look at the book of Acts and then you look at the church today, there has been some breaking down. There's been some things that need to be mended. So not only am I talking about God mending our hearts and mending things personally in our lives. Yes, we need that. But God is doing a mending in the house of God. He's doing a restoring and he's calling people. He's calling the carpenters. He's calling the masons. He's calling the artisans. He's calling the people who will pray and intercede. He's calling those people who will cry out to the Lord, the God Almighty, and, and say, we want the house of God mended. We want the house of God. Jesus went into with the money changers and he drove them out with a whip and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He said, the zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed me. And I have to ask myself this question as I ask you this morning, does the zeal for the house of God consume us? Sometimes it doesn't for me. Sometimes I'm so consumed with my house or what's going on with me or my this or my that. And we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus himself said the zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed me, he wanted it to be right. He wanted it to be the house of the Lord. He wanted it to be a house of prayer and look the way it was supposed to. Remember, mending means to make one what he ought to be. We want the house of God to be what it ought to be. Amen. And we're a body. We're a part of the church. We're a part of what God is doing. So it's, again, not just our personal. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So every time I speak, I feel like I'm speaking in three parts, right? I'm always talking about this house. I'm talking about the house I live in. And I'm talking about the house we come to and go to church. Because really, that's what God's doing. He's always working with us individually. He's always working on my family. And he's working on God's family and his house. So we have to look at every word really threefold every time we talk about it, all right? So uh, in to mend, actually, in the Hebrew there, uh, I read to you kind of the Greek when they were mending their nets. Uh, that meant all of those to restore. But, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in Hebrew, it means to strengthen, to be strong, to prevail, to harden, to be courageous, to be firm, to grow firm, to be resolute. How many of you want the house of God, the church of the living God to be that way? Amen. I want to be that way. It means to, um, to be caught fast, to be secure, to be upright, to be urgent. Um, it goes on and on. I mean, I could read all these to grow stout, grow rigid, grow hard, to be severe, uh, to make strong, to be, it just goes on to make firm, to display strength. I mean, it's just all of this strength strength that God wants to, uh, he was bringing that by using masons, 
and carpenters. And of course, that was the natural. They were going to build that house of the Lord. But where, where might we fit in in the spiritual process to rebuild the house of the Lord? to make strong, to make firm, to make it prevail again, to make it, to put forth strength, all of that stuff, all right? So again, not only do we need to do a rending, but I believe that God wants us to be a part of the mending. No doubt, he's the mender of broken hearts. And Jesus himself, like I said, he said that he, he came to mend the brokenhearted. He came to, uh, to set captives free. So Jesus himself is a healer, right? And as we're walking in his character, and again, not just this house, let's look at the body of Christ for a minute. How are we being used to mend my brother? How am I being used to help make strong my sister? How am I using my skill, my carpentry, my hammer, my nail, my word, my sword, whatever it is that God's given me, to use, and each one of us have a part in the body of Christ. Each one of us are a member. If we've, if we've received Jesus, we're a part of the member of body of Christ, and it says that we, every ligament and joint, supplies what the other one needs. What might Alice need? What might Bobby need that we have? We're a mason. We're a carpenter. Whatever it is that we have, we're building and it's not just, like I said, it's not just about the well and, oh, the well, we're going to have revival. It's going to be so good. There are people in the body of Christ all over the place that need, they need us. And, and we want to build up that. Amen. So a rending, a mending, and now let's go into the sending. Amen. John 20, verse 12. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So again, we know Jesus was sent into this world for us. He was sent to lay down his life for us. He was sent to die for his people um, and for, for us so that our sins could be forgiven. But he's telling his disciples, just like the Father sent me, so send I you. So I had to ask the question, what exactly was Jesus sent to do? Like I said, I just said some of it. We know he, he was sent to die for our sins, die on the cross, those things. But let's look in Isaiah 61 here to um, go through this scripture really quick. I mentioned this. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. So if he's saying, I send you the way the Father sent me, then let's just start looking at some of these things he was sent to do and ask ourselves the question, oh, wow, well, that, I'm sent to do that too. To preach good news to the poor, that would be the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the eyes of the blind, Remember, we just talked about this morning, Pastor um, DJ was up here and he said, we've, we've gotten up here and we've declared some things this morning. Or let's use the word proclaimed. Declare, proclaim, it's all coming out of the mouth, right? When we proclaim something, we declare something, we say something, we shout something. Uh, even sometimes when we whisper something, 
We can be declaring healing over our child that's trying to sleep with a fever and be like, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing over you. So it's not necessarily the volume. You're like, I'm just not a really loud person. It's okay. I'm telling you, if we're declaring and proclaiming the name of Jesus, the power in that name. And it says here, like just like he said, we're declaring freedom. We were declaring all of these things this morning. Jesus said, I came to proclaim. He didn't say I came, I was sent. I was sent. He has sent me to do this. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of of the eyes of the blind to comfort those who mourn. I'm getting over there to Isaiah myself. I had it in my notes, but I wanted to make sure and read the whole thing. And opening of the prison to those who are bound. I said that wrong. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion, and I love this, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So God's cut, Jesus has come to give uh, beauty for ashes. And the word ashes there, the Hebrew word means worthlessness, worthlessness. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who feel worthless. They feel they've been, they've gone through the, um, the ringer of life. They have been abused or they've been mistreated. Maybe they, they, they just hit on some hard times. There's a lot of things, but you know what they need? They need to be given proclaimed beauty for ashes that, that where they feel worthless. They don't feel like they have any part of the kingdom of God. They don't feel like they have any purpose. Guess what? We can be sent to them to say, no, there's beauty. There's beauty for that. We can do it. The, we call this the, I like to call this chapter and y'all could quote, if you've been in church very long, the glorious exchange, right? This is an exchange. God did an exchange with us. How many of you ever felt like, ashes. <laughs> I know I have. How many of you have ever had mourning in your life, grief in your life? How many of you have had heaviness? And that word heaviness, actually, the Hebrew word for that actually means uh, like a candle, barely a flicker, almost out. That's what heaviness feels like. You're barely there's barely a flicker. You're barely hanging on. How many of you ever had heaviness in your life? I know I have. And God said, I have been sent and I'm giving you a garment of praise for that. And that's what we can proclaim to other people. God's given you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Put it on, put it on the oil of joy for mourning. Um, so I love this and, and it goes on there and it tells what those people, the people he was sent to, that he consoled, he comforted, he gave them joy, he gave them beauty. And then it says what they ended up doing. It says that they, that they 
could go on to be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. God wants to bring that mending in our lives and he wants to bring that sending in our lives and he wants to to use us to bring him glory and to bring more people into the kingdom of God. I wanna talk too quickly uh, as I end with two people in the Bible. I've done a lot of Isaiah this morning, but Isaiah had the rending, mending, sending uh, situation going on. And if you'll turn to Isaiah 6, when God first um, began to reveal himself to Isaiah. I'm almost done. I've got time. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet. I'm going to say this for uh, Pastor Whalen. And with twain, he flew. Hey, hey, old King James. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, all right, so Isaiah is in having this moment that the Lord is high and lifted up. The posts are being shaken. He's looking at these angelic, these seraphims, they're flying. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. He's having this encounter with the Lord. And all of a sudden he has a rendering moment and he begins to rend and say, Whoa, woe is me because I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And he had to have that rendering moment. He had to rend himself before God and repent and say, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, why am I having this encounter with God right now? What is going to come out of this? And you know what? As you start spending time with the Lord, you may wonder too, what is God doing? What is he going to do with me? Well, if you hang on long enough and you go through the process of the rending and the mending, before you know it, there'll be ascending. And you'll find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do before. So Isaiah's having the rending moment. Now he goes in and, and he has a mending moment. And it says, uh, for my eyes have seen the king. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal. And I didn't mention this earlier. Earlier, but the mending, obviously, like I said, it's a restoring, it's a fixing. But one of the words was forgiveness also. It was, it was when things that were wrong are made right. And this is what happens. He has a mending moment where the seraphim's like, okay, you've got unclean lips. I can fix that. Because what I said, when people rendered their garments, it was something they could not fix themselves. Guess what? We can't fix ourselves. Only God can fix us. Only the blood of Jesus has the power to fix what we've done. Only the blood of Jesus has the power to come in and to, to cleanse us and to save us. And so that seraphim picks up with the tongs. It's too hot. The angel can't even pick it up. He picks up the, the, uh, uh, a coal from the fire, from the altar of God, the very altar of God. And he comes and it says, having his hand a live coal. What is a live coal? I don't know, but boy, what an experience that would have been. And he took it with the tongs and he touched 
my mouth with it. He had a mending moment that the Lord was like, if your mouth is the problem, guess what? I'm gonna take care of it for you. I'm gonna take care of it for you so that now you won't have unclean lips. Now you can say what I'm telling you to say. Now you can start telling the people of God what I've been wanting to tell them all along. See, he needed Isaiah. He had to go through the rending. He had to go through the mending. And then he, he you see where he's going here. If you've read this, any amount of time, you know what's next. And he touched my mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away and your sin is purged. You're mended. You're ready. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, now God's asking him, hey, since you've been through the rending and you've been through the mending, now here's my question. Whom shall I send? And who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am. Here I am. Over here, Lord. Over here, Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me. And he said, go and tell the people this. And I won't go into that. That's not the part. But you have to have this process of rending mending and then God's going to send us where he wants to send us. He's going to use this body specifically to send people out. It's not us sending out Nate and Holly. This is God sending them out because I've seen the rending. I've seen the rending. I've seen the mending. And now I get to see the sending. And that's going to happen in all of our lives if we will allow God to do what he wants to do. The process is not always fun. It's not always happy. It's not always easy. But I'm telling you, it's glorious. It's glorious when we do it the way God wants to do it. The last person I want to talk about, Moses. And then you can go ahead uh, Jonah, he may have already slipped out to come. Yes, look at that. Moses in Exodus, Exodus is having his moment with the burning bush. Now Moses doesn't quite respond the same way as Isaiah. So I have to ask ourselves the question, when God shows up in his glory, when he shows up and he's high and lifted up and the glory, the train is filling the temple, his glory, or if he shows up and he starts talking out of a burning bush that's not blow, that's not burning up, whatever encounter it is that he chooses to have with us, how are we going to respond? Instead of saying, woe is me, he said, I'll just turn there. You got to hear what he says. He did not, God sent him anyway. <laughs> God sent him away because I go back to Joel. Joel said, the reason I'm telling you to rend your heart, not your garments is because God's a merciful God. God's a merciful God and he's extending mercy to us this morning. He's always extending mercy. In fact, when I wake up in the morning, a lot of times I say, God, I thank you that your mercies are new every morning because I have to run into them. I don't know about you, but I have to run into the mercies of God every single morning, every morning. And so Moses in um, Exodus here, I believe it's in Exodus 3. He was tending the flock. Jethro, his father-in-law, he's on the backside there close to the mountain of God. Uh, so when he saw this bush burning, he turned aside to look at it. And God called to him and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He, he said, here I am, just like Isaiah said, right? I, I'm here. What, what, what do you want to say? It wasn't like, whoa, whoa. You know, Isaiah maybe was having a, maybe a more uh, 
I don't know what kind of encounter, but I'm telling you, he had the whoa. He, he, he was feeling it. Moses was looking at it, but he didn't understand. God said, take your shoes off, buddy. <laughs> take your shoes off. I'm going to show you what holiness looks like. I'm going to show you what the presence of God. Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. You are having an encounter and I'm going to speak to you. And he tells him, go back. I want you to go back to Pharaoh and I want you to say, let my people go. And here's his response. Let me find it and make sure I'm in the right place. But Moses, uh-oh, those buts will get you every time, won't they? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Instead of like, oh, wow, okay, okay. He starts, I, I can't do it. And maybe some of us have said that, I, I can't speak. I, I can't do that. I can't go to my neighbor's house and knock on the door and invite them to church. I just can't do that, God. This is this is hard. I can't do this. You know, maybe God's asked you to do something and you're like, oh, send me, God, send me. And then he tries to send you, you know, to the car next to you at the Walmart parking lot and you, and you just can't do it. I know I've been there. I know I've been there. So he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you. This is the mercy. This is the mercy of God. God's not like, okay, we'll forget it. If you can't do it, just forget it, Moses. I'll go find somebody else. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. That's, the, that's why we serve a good God. Cause you know what? He could have, he could have passed over me a long time ago because of my stubbornness or my unwillingness or my whatever, my lack of rending, my loss of truth that I didn't find for a long time. He's like, where is your ax head? I'm like, I don't know. Go find it. Go find it because I need you. I need you. And he needs you. This is his mercy crying out to us this morning. Just like he cried out to Moses. He's like, okay, listen, Moses. I know. I know. You got the excuses. You can't speak, you, you know, whatever it is. But I'm just going to tell you, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to. And so Moses is finally like, okay, well, who do I tell him sent me? Like Moses doesn't even know who God is really at this moment. He, he doesn't even know. He's raised in a pagan household. And God's like, you tell him, you tell him the I am sent you. See, he was sent. Moses was sent by the I am, the people that had been crying out to God in slavery for some 400, 600 years. But he was sent by God and he had to have a rending moment. He had to have a mending moment. And now he's having his sending moment. Amen. Y'all can stand to your feet with me this morning. that went before us, Lord, that, that didn't get it all right. Lord, we don't get it all right, but we thank you for your mercy. If you feel this morning, you're like, man, I need to go through a rending. I need to go through a mending. I've got some hurt. I've got some things in my life or I need to, to be rent. I need to rend my heart because I, I have some things. I've lost sight of the truth in, in ways. And if you're like, I want to be sent by God, even if it's across the street, if it's to love thy neighbor, it's to those apartments, wherever it is, God is going to use us. I'm just going to take this time this morning, open up the altars at any point. If you feel like God ministered to you and you want to come, just spend some time with the Lord in the altar. 
feel free to do that. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the invitation this morning to rend our heart, not our garments. God, we don't want to just be an outward church. We don't want to just be an outward people. God, we want you to truly, we want to truly be contrite and broken before you, Lord. We want to be real before you, God. I ask that this morning, God, you would come and mend hearts. Lord, you would come with your needle and thread. God, you'd begin to sew up the broken places in people's lives where they've been hurt or wounded, God. Continue, God, just to pour out your love this morning on us. I'm going to speak a release over you this morning. Those of you that need to slip out, feel free. We're going to worship for just a few more minutes here. And then once we close, then we'll come back for revival prayer. But God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to us this morning, God. I thank you for your mercy, your salvation, your healing, your freedom, God. I thank you that you have chosen to use us as vessels on this earth to bring forth your glory, to help change other people's lives. God, you've chosen us and you want to use us, God. I pray that we'd be pliable in your hands. I was talking to Jonathan, my son in love here on the electric guitar yesterday and I was talking about the word and he said uh, not only rending mending but you could say bending because he's been speaking to J38 actually about commitment and one of the words root words for that is a bending and you know what we have to be pliable in the hands of God we have to bend we have to allow him to bend us as well to fit into what he the mold he wants for us to live in amen amen i trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of god today once again i want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast it's very important that after you receive the word of god to make sure it gets sealed in your heart i'd like to do that with you i'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the word of god have free course move swiftly in us and it would glorify god you know the word of god is a seed you can expect results out of it. you can expect fruit out of it you can expect something to be produced again i'm so thankful that you joined us now allow me just a moment to pray with you Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.